Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. And I don't know about you, Ralph, but I've been enjoying the Sporks Equinox that we've been experiencing. <laughs> For the first time ever, we had an NBA game, an NFL game, an NHL game, a Major League Baseball game, a college football game, the U.S. Open tennis. We had the PGA, LPGA. Every single sport was taking place at the same time on the same day for the first time in history. This is a good time to be a sports fan. Have you been watching, Ralph? I've been watching. I think that we may have missed only like maybe Tiddlywinks or lacrosse. I mean, something you know, <laughs> that we haven't seen. But you know, typically in October, right, we have these – you know, all especially professional sports are like, you know, baseball's winding down mm-hmm. the season, football is cranking up, college football is cranking up, basketball is just beginning the uh the uh, preseason, right? So right. Now, and then so we are in baseball playoffs almost, we're in basketball playoffs. So it's a weird time to watch TV and I mean over the weekend watching football with no fans and but I, I heard the sound effects, right? Right. Uh, they got they piped in all the sound effects with the fans, which was pretty cool. But as a player, I think it's got to be a little eerie that you can. I don't know if they pipe it into the arenas, etc. But they got to be able to hear that. So it was cool to watch and see football and come back to a little normal, but mm-hmm. it's still a little bit different than watching not see the fans there. Uh, it's almost most bizarre when they do like fireworks or yeah, yeah, the, the pyrotechnics of a starting lineup and there's no one there to applaud. It's like they're doing it for themselves. That that feels a little bizarre to me. Well, I think they got to pump the players up a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm a player. I, I used to come out of the, the tunnel and I see 60,000 people cheering, you know, and I get introduced and I run out and I can wave my hands and shake and do my – uh, Ray Lewis dance and stuff like that, but I'm doing it for my own self right now. So it's a little different. But That's right. It'd be interesting to see. Can we go back to, to Tiddlywinks? What what exactly is Tiddlywinks? You said uh, that's, that's, the only old, thing that's old school. You, I had to get that one. You had to look that one up. I'm, I'm gonna have to Google that. Yeah, I'm too young for Tiddlywinks. I don't no, I don't no. know what that is. All right, but I'll take your word for it. That's the only thing we were missing. It is a good time to be a sports fan because there's a lot to watch, a lot of sports to consume, a lot to talk about. One of the things I want to talk to you about, and this, you know, this could be our what's new, what's good that we always start our show with. It's not good for Milwaukee Bucks fans, though. The Milwaukee Bucks have had the best record in the regular season the last two years, but they have been eliminated from the postseason earlier than they would expect or hope for. And they are sent packing again, being defeated by the Miami Heat four games to one. Their home, Giannis Antetokounmpo, soon to be named the MVP, back-to-back MVP, and this year's Defensive Player of the Year, but can't get it done in the postseason. I want to know, Ralph, if you were the GM of the Milwaukee Bucks, what do you do? You have one year left of Giannis Antetokounmpo. If he 
does not sign that Supermax extension and commit to staying this year, what do you do? Well, I mean, give you some scenarios like, okay, James Harden and Russell Westbrook mm-hmm. in Houston. Coach, not get, you know, no contract. Uh, they get a little older now. Do they trade them? Uh, you know, I mean, look at Chris Paul, although the Greek freak is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. This ball never been past, you know, divisional finals. Uh, and so you got great players that have that ability to play at a very high level, but can they get you over the hump? And so with John, Jonas, his ability to play at that high level and make all of the awards, the awards are great, but sooner or later you got to win a championship. And so I was reading as well as where he met with, you know, the powers to be in the state three-hour meeting, like mm-hmm. they want to keep him there and, and keep him involved in their community. But they don't have a seasoned vet on that team that can come to play. They should have kept my guy Malcolm Brogdon yep. you know, as a steady defensive player and can run an offense and get that down. I think they missed him a lot this year. But it's hard, as they see now, to get over the hump to get to the championship. And, you know, seven-game series is tough. And yeah. you're not bringing your A game every night. You can just throw up a last-minute ball, as we've seen in this playoffs, and lose the game and all of a sudden go down three games to, to one mm-hmm. with Miami. And Miami came to play, and they didn't, ex- they didn't expect that. No one expected Miami to do that, but Miami expected it for sure. Yep. Well, it's going to be curious to see what, what they're going to do because they have one year left with Giannis, the yep. now two-time reigning MVP, under contract. And if he doesn't sign that extension, you risk him walking away for nothing. So do they run it back again? They've got a good regular season team. They have the best record. It's not like they're starting from scratch. But if they make it to the playoffs next season and bow out again, isn't he more likely to leave the Bucks then at that point? So do you start to explore a trade? Do you try to start to rebuild some of those assets, get rid of Eric Bledsoe? What do you do with Chris Middleton and his contract? What pieces are they missing? I, You know, it's a tough, tough thing. I don't know what they do. Well, I mean, if I'm sitting in that position of the – GM, I mean, you gotta you gotta appease Giannis for sure, but you can't give up the ship, you know, with all the other players because of you know one player, uh, unless you can get some other assets. Now you may have to get rid of the other guy that have a larger salary that you can get something complimentary. I mean, you know, can can a Giannis and James Harden play together? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Can Giannis and Westbrook play together? Probably not. So you got to get the right mixture of guy in there to keep him there because he needs some help to get to that next level. Now, sometimes it is the coach's fault, and you have to look at that aspect as well to be able to get him there. He's probably going to stay at the coach, but what do you really need to get over that hump? Now, unfortunately. You know, Giannis got hurt, but I think, I mean, after he got hurt, I'd have pulled him and he wouldn't have played anymore either because mm-hmm. it's no use in getting hurt. But looking at Giannis' situation himself, where does he want to go play? He wants to get a bigger market. Should he go to New York? You know, trade some player there and be the king of New York. I mean, Kevin Durant turned that down. He didn't want to be the king of New York. Should <laughs> he go to San Antonio? You know, Popovich and that crew. I don't know. I mean, where else can he go and play? and be that dominant and have some good players around him. It's questionable what team he can go to. Well, you brought up a name earlier in this conversation that I think could make a lot of sense for the Bucks. Chris Paul, someone who has not made it past the second round. I don't like round. him at all. I don't like him at all. You don't, li- you don't like that? No. You don't think that's going to work? 
I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, just look. I mean, you you you're a statistic guy. Has Chris Paul? How far has Chris Paul made in the playoffs? Well, he's never made it to the conference finals. He has not made it there. Yeah. Thirty-five years old. Yep. He might have one or two more years left, maybe. That somebody wants to pay him that money he's making. I know it's a lot of money he's making, but he yeah, he so proved Oklahoma he can still City. get it done. He's yeah. you know. He, he took an Oklahoma City Thunder team that no one thought would make the playoffs. They thought they were just rebuilding and tanking this year. He made them a, a top five seed in the Western Conference and pushed the Houston Rockets to seven games. They came close. If, if you have a distributor like that, someone who can create his own shot, set someone up at the end of a game for the Bucs, I think it could work, but it looks he like turned, you're not he turned a the ball and, and crunch time, he turned the ball over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay. he's always done that. He's That's always been true. hurting the playoffs, turned the ball over, just trying to do too much. Mm-hmm. You need some more help out there as well, but you know it, it didn't happen in Oklahoma City. But I think he should finish his career in Oklahoma City. Wow! And, and just ride it out because I think it's a great situation for him. And you know, just ride the wave as long as he can. Well, cash those checks as long as he can. He's making forty million dollars <laughs> a year. That's not bad. Again, who's going to take him? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's the problem. He's got a lot of money still owed to him. So it's going to be tough. I think he might have one more year under that deal. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, the NBA is my favorite soap opera to follow because it's all the drama. When the games end, the drama just begins. There's always a lot to talk about as players move, GMs reshuffle their lineups and rosters, coaches, the coaching carousel is already underway. Uh, but we've got a lot of great playoff games left. Now we're in the conference finals and I'm excited uh, to see who makes it all the way. It looking more and more like to me that it might be Lakers versus Celtics. That's my revised prediction at this point. Yeah, uh, Miami's going to have some say so. They are. They're they're playing tough basketball. They've only lost one game in the postseason so far. Yeah. Well, it'll be exciting to see. But today, as we mentioned, it's not just basketball that's back. We got all the sports taking place right now, including college football, which I'm still confused if this is going to work or not. I I, I don't even know uh, because we've got some conferences playing right now. Some like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have opted out, although they're currently meeting and discussing that. Rivalry games and weeks that normally take place the last week of the season and Thanksgiving are now taking place earlier in the year. Everything's been reshuffled and rejiggered to try to fit this in. So we have an amazing guest on the show with us today, Ralph. He's a legend from your alma mater, the University of Virginia. He was an All-American there. Uh, He was a Heisman Trophy finalist. He was the ACC Player of the Year back in 1990 when he played at the University of Virginia. He went on to have an NFL career as a quarterback. He's been at every level of football from college to the pros to the CFL to the XFL. He's been a player. He's been a coach. He's even been an administrator with the NCAA. If you haven't guessed yet who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Sean Moore. Uh, He's a great guy. And Ralph, you've known Sean for a long time through your Virginia connections. Yeah, I mean, Sean go way back. Uh, I mean, you know, he was the first player – you know, in UVA football history that took a team to number one in the country. Mm-hmm. Never been done other than while he was there. Herman Moore, Sean Moore, Ned Crew, Terry Kirby, you know, very, very good NFL players playing together there. Took him to number one in the country, and he gets bragging rights to me for football anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's he's got the UVA 
football bragging rights. That is for sure. He's he's a legend when it comes to that. Back in 1990, when he was a Heisman finalist, they started 7-0, and as you mentioned. First UVA football team to be ranked number one in the country. They beat Clemson for the first time in their previous 29 matches. It's hard uh, to do. I'm excited to talk to him about all of that because uh, I didn't know as much about the UVA football history that re- he really helped to, to build there. Um, so I'm excited to get into that with him, but also to get his perspective as a former player, coach, and administrator on this current college football season, if it's going to work, how it's going to work, what is it going to feel like, what's it going to be like at the end, will there be a legit champ? He has some interesting insight on all that that he's going to share with us. He does. I look forward to this interview. He's a good friend, so let's get it started. All right. We've got two UVA legends, basketball, football, and we got this guy just talking about it all. <laughs> That's right. Here we go. Let's bring him on, the one and only Sean Moore. Sean, thank you so much for joining us here on Center Court. Really excited to have you today. You know, this normally September, October, the fall, college football is here. The NFL is back. As a former NFL quarterback, uh, a college football legend at the University of Virginia, a college football coach, someone who's worked at the NCAA, I want to know, is this going to work? And what is this season going to be like for for college football? I think everyone is just hopeful that they can get through it. Uh, I don't think there's any question whether or not they'll start. Uh, You know, Ralph and I, you know, obviously UVA alums, they open up next Saturday. And it's it's weird that they're opening the season against Virginia Tech because (laughs) exactly right. But but I, I just think everyone I talk to, and I talk to a lot of folks within the college football arena, uh, they're just hopeful that they can get through the season because what happens if, you know, October, mid-October, Georgia and Alabama playing and the entire quarterback room gets, you know, COVID? <laughs> you, you know, you got to play with a walk-on. Or it's just – it's just you like, have a pun- you have a punter playing quarterback. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you do what uh, – uh, it was at Kentucky last year in their last game. They took their best uh, athlete and put him at quarterback and actually won the game. But <laughs> – right. It's, it's it's just weird, man. It really is. It's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, you not that this is important, but the people that are going crazy right now are, are the sports book people in Vegas. Right. <laughs> like, the lines of the games are going to be all over the place. Yeah. How do they handicap this? They don't know who's playing, who's in, who's out. What What is this going to look like? And and no, for the NFL, no preseason games. There hasn't been really, you know, scrimmages. So okay. you're just going out there. I think that the, the thing that I think was obvious was last week, this past Monday, actually, three days ago, when Navy played BYU and the Navy coach was very adamant that, look, we haven't tackled the mm-hmm. entire game. And it was very evident because they got devoured. Now, yeah. I always say when BYU comes to play, they're coming with grown men because those guys go on missions they come back. <laughs> right. So they kicked those boys around like, it, it looked like a, a practice session, especially with no fans there. And it was just weird. But BYU crushed Navy on Monday night. And that's just unlike Navy. Yeah, huh. totally. Well, I, I mean, Virginia, Virginia Tech, I mean, that's, you know, that's Thanksgiving. Uh, typically, the, the rival game. I mean, I mean, I don't know how that's going to work being the first game. And then you're only going to play in your, you know, conference maybe. You're not going to travel as much. I mean, how that going to work? I mean, as a player, I mean, and then how is UVA – 
Uh, I was texting Carla Williams this morning just to check on her. How do you keep the guy in a bubble like the NBA to protect them to make sure that they are not getting COVID on the campus because they want to hang out and party? If there's one thing about Virginia, and in particular, this program, this Bronco Mendenhall coach team, uh, you know, those guys are super disciplined. He's got his team now. He's got the guys that he's recruited for this program. So I, I think there's one that's one program where those kids will stay in the bubble. You know, you, you got obviously some knuckleheads, first year kids that may get out, you know, and, and get to rugby road on a Thursday, <laughs> yes. you know, get get sick. But if if there's one disciplined team in the ACC, it, it'll be Virginia. It'll be the Bronco Mendenhall coach Virginia team. So. It'll be. I think Virginia will be able to get through the season. The question is, you know, if they face an opponent, an opponent, and they have some COVID tests, it, it's going to be weird, man. It really is. From your opinion, are they testing? Are they testing before the game? Are they testing? What's the protocol? Have you heard anything on that? Week is what the ACC, SEC, and Big Twelve are doing. Um, actually, in Conference USA, they're doing three tests a week, which is that's that's pretty good. I mean, I, I think the NFL are testing daily, which mm-hmm. you know they have a tremendous amount of. Uh, finances uh, invested in this, but three times a week is pretty sufficient. You know, I, Chris Lay, who you and I know well, yes. Chris coaches at Pace Academy, which is a private school in uh, Atlanta. And he said they're testing kids every Sunday. They just opened up last Friday. Yeah. So they won their first game last Friday. And I said, you know, how was it? He was like, it's the weirdest thing ever. We had a hundred people in the stands. Yeah. It was all family and immediate family and friends. He said, but um, we test the kids on Sunday. And so if someone got infected over the weekend, they can't play that for the next two weeks. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm still shocked that high school is even playing because, you know, testing can get expensive. Absolutely. Yeah, but high school is not like the NFL or college where they, they're making money and they're making yeah. revenue from the gate. So right. they, they're putting those kids at risk. Yeah. Well, Sean, let's assume it all goes well. Uh, you know, fingers crossed that we get through the season. What, in your opinion, does this even look like at the end of a college football season when you've got everyone sort of playing by their own rules? Some conferences not competing. Uh, they're opting out for the fall. Some are competing. Some schools will have fans in attendance. Some won't. When we get to an end, will it, will it feel like an end? Will it feel like a, a championship? What is it going to feel like? You know, I don't think it will. I don't think to the to the to the typical fan, it won't feel like a typical season because you got the Big Ten and the Pac-12 watching from the outside. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some a lot of pressure uh, from Big Ten ads and coaches and players to get them on the field. Now, initially, it was it was Thanksgiving, right? And the latest thing I've heard is getting them on the field in October. Mm-hmm. And look at it from a, from an economical perspective. They don't want to miss out on the college football playoff. There's, there's a tremendous amount of finances there that could benefit the Big Ten and the Pac-12. So they're going to do everything they can to get on the field by October, early November, just so that if if it's possible, they'll have to get the college football playoff to push that those two weekends back to probably late January, early February. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my issue with that is, you know, you start getting into spring ball for 2021 draft nfl draft it's just everything's going to get pushed into 2021 it's just that's a lot of football for for kids that um you know playing at that level it's just a lot well it's like the nba draft i mean i think we heard it's october but now it may be november 18th 
Mm-hmm. So everything's got me. You, you, the jab is usually in June. June, I'm sorry, in yeah. June, right? But now it's October. Now it's November. November. You got kids that are waiting for the draft, working out feverishly right now, and the jab continue to get pushed back. I mean, that's going to affect all the sports. And you might not get this thing back on track for another year and a half, two years. Right. Right. With the NBA players, there he the finals will be when. September, no, in October. 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 It'll be you know October. early October, mid October. The NBA season usually starts in October, right? Right, right. October fifth, preseason. Yeah. God, yeah, it's just it's that's a lot of basketball, man. And it is. guys, I, as a professional athlete, I would just say you you have to be in tune with your body because they're they're playing a lot of basketball right now. They're playing every other night in that mm-hmm. bubble. That's a lot of basketball. Right. And so, it just starts, you saw uh, the Denver Nuggets just in the first round series they had against the Utah Jazz in the NBA went seven games. Immediately after that game, they interviewed live on SportsCenter Jamal Murray, and they said, now how do you go from this grueling series and turn around and in two nights, you know, on Thursday, face off against the LA Clippers? And it, live on camera, Jamal Murray said, what? We play on Tuesday. We uh, right. Thursday. We we get one day off. Like you, you just knew they were going to get crushed the next game because they're exhausted. They they are just doing everything they can to get this in, and it kind of feels like that a little bit in college football too. For some respect, it's like we just got to figure it out and get them on the field. Is it going to work? No one really knows. But well, the pressure from the administrative perspective is they can't get crushed economically they have to find a way to get it done you know uh it's just economically if you don't play right now and you're seeing a lot of programs you i just saw i just read locally here william and mary just dropped seven uh programs wow Wow. they're fcs school but still seven programs i mean that's 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 huge it's hard on the athletic department when are we gonna do that title nine and all that kind of stuff because that's gonna be they have to bring them back but it's crazy but as you were alluding to jason a second ago is i mean we you know, go from playing a seven-game series against the Denver Nuggets in Mile House Stadium in Denver to the next night, 24 hours later, playing the L.A. Lakers and get our tail beat. I mean, so, but but we travel. Wow, yeah. Commercially in a playing hotel. These guys are in a bubble in the NBA. So mm-hmm. unlike football, I mean, I'm in a bubble. I got to do is walk from the arena to the hotel, get something to eat that's all catered out to you. Mm-hmm. And go to sleep and get up the next day. So hopefully their body can refresh. I mean, I, we would call them, you know, little sissies, little wimps because they <laughs> they they, they cry about playing, you know, in a big game like that. But <laughs> football is totally different. I mean, you can't put all those guys in a bubble. You got to travel. You, you're trying with 60, 80 guys, you know, going from one arena to the next. And it's, you know, the great thing about it is outdoor. Yeah. No, I, I equated uh, the NBA playoffs. It's like an AAU tournament. <laughs> yeah, initially, initially. Same hotel, and they're playing like forever. It's like right. a big-ass AAU tournament. Yeah. Would, and the game, you know, you can imagine, you know, playing in a game and you going against somebody and you have an argument and you got to go back to the same hotel. I mean, well, it, you know, it's going to break out. Something, something's going to happen, right? Well, at the end of that Boston game last night, there was, you know, there was some, there was some turmoil between uh, Smart and those guys. And then you know, you got to get to the locker room, get back to the hotel, and then, then you got to play again in two nights. Yep, yep, yep. So, you got to get it done. It's a, a yeah. unique situation. This is a, a year unlike any we've ever seen before, for sure. And everyone's just trying to figure it out and navigate these uncharted uh, uh, paths that we're all going down to, to make it work. And we have high hopes. We hope that the NFL and that the NCAA are able to have successful seasons. Um, but – 
no one knows. And, you know, everyone's just trying to, to do their best and, and to figure it out. Uh, Sean, you, as we mentioned, are a University of Virginia football legend. Uh, you were an All-American at UVA, the ACC Player of the Year in, in 1990. Um, so many highlights in your college football career. Um, but 1990, especially when you were a Heisman Trophy finalist, you started the season 7-0, and including beating Clemson for the first time uh, in, I think, 29 matches against that school. Let's go back to that time period quickly. Uh, as you reflect on it now, uh, 30 years later, how do you... I, what are what are some of your fondest memories of your days playing for the University of Virginia for that season and and for that game that historic win over Clemson? Let me tee that up a little bit as well. Yeah. They, you know, the only team that was football that was number one in the country. Yeah, right? I mean, you know, with the crew there, so I got to give him a little kudos for you know being the quarterback. Well, and here, here's the thing, you know. I, I did an interview with a guy that was, I guess he was getting ready for our, the Georgia Tech game this year. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about the 89 team. Our 89 team was first ever ACC championship team. Mm-hmm. That team, we lost to Notre Dame in the kickoff classic, which was, you know, preseason game. It's the only game on it, you know, national TV. And we got devoured. Notre Dame had just won a national championship in 88. They beat the breaks off us in 89. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we thought we had a pretty good football team. And we went on the next week, and everyone thought we was going to get smashed at Penn State. And we beat Penn State at Penn State. And they wow. were top 10 in the And we went on to win 10 in a row and won the ACC championship. And so going into 90, we knew we had something special. We just didn't know how good we were. We had a lot of fifth-year seniors, including myself. We were all in grad school. Uh, but we were facing Kansas a team we had we'd never gone east of you know North Carolina. I mean west of North Carolina. So we had never gone that far west. We were playing Kansas in in uh in Lawrence and we had no clue what type of team we had. But by halftime when it was 40 to nothing, we felt like <laughs> we felt like we wanted something special. Yeah. And uh, you know, offensively that was probably one of the best offenses uh in the history uh, of University of Virginia football because we averaged 40 points a game. We had you know, Herman Moore was a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Roberts was a first-round pick, left tackle. Kerry Kirby was a second-round pick. Uh, Chris Slade was a second-round pick. We we were loaded. I mean, there were a lot of NFL players on that team. You look yeah. back. Well, you and, and Herman Moore, you mentioned, you guys set over 30 combined NCAA conference and school records during your time playing together. It was a historic time at University of Virginia football and ACC football, too, uh, really uh, putting Virginia football on the map. Yeah, you know, I, I look back on it and and I think, you know, one of the biggest, uh, I think one of the biggest uh, compliments I got was Herman was inducted into the uh, Detroit uh, Ring of Honor last year. Mm-hmm. And um, he invited me because he said, you know, there would be no Herman Moore without Sean Moore. And I, I was I was grateful yeah. because, you know, here's a guy who's, you know, he's gone on to tremendous amount of success at the at the National Football League level. And he's thanking me for his his collegiate career. So uh, we still have a special relationship. And, uh, you know, he he made me the player that I was. I mean, think about it. People don't realize this. I finished fourth in the Heisman. Herman finished sixth in the Heisman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, somebody, somebody had to throw the ball and somebody had to catch it. Yeah. You know, so, I tell Herman, he took some of my votes that year. I mean, nah, there, there you go. <laughs> he split the more vote. <laughs> right. Exactly. 
<laughs> right. That's funny. Wow. That, that is special. You guys had a special chemistry and relationship in college. And it's nice to hear that you still have that special bond, uh, even today, uh, yep. years later. And, and that's one of the things we, we hear all the time on this podcast. One of the best things about sports is that it transcends. It's not just about on the court or on the field. It's the relationships and the impact that you make away from the game that really are the long lasting effects that, that mean so much. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we got to do a UVA football basketball show reunion. You know, this uh, you all the greats because we got so many friends that can do that. But you know, the my, coach, close, my closest friends are guys from UVA. You know, oh, absolutely. absolutely five years professional football, and I play mm -hmm. with a lot of teams. But my closest friends are are my guys who didn't play professional football. You know, who are you know working in the stock market and work in New York on Wall Street. Those are my closest friends, guys that I, I competed with every day at UVA. Yeah, absolutely. Every day in, in the U-Haul and going through the arena and trying to figure out how to work out in that little bitty weight room. So it was all good. <laughs> and then you you mentioned you uh, you were in the NFL uh, with the, the Denver Broncos, the Arizona Cardinals, you know, your quarterback in the CFL, and then you got into coaching after uh, your, your professional playing days. What did it mean to you in 2010 to get to come back to the University of Virginia to be an assistant coach of the football team uh, where you really got your, your start? I almost felt like Steve Nash now, man. I, I, <laughs> man. Felt, I felt it was a little privilege for me because – uh, I had only coached high school ball, mm -hmm. and I coached uh, I coached quarterbacks in the Washington D.C. area for ten years. Uh, one of my one of my students back then was Dwayne Haskins, who's now the starting quarterback for the Redskins. Wow! So I was training Dwayne when he was like ten and wow. eleven. Yeah. And so I was training young quarterbacks and working uh, working as a coach at a private school in Washington D.C. And so when the opportunity came to coach uh, at the collegiate level, it was kind of a no brainer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I knew the, the the recruiting base in Washington, D.C. because I lived there for 12 years. And there was a tremendous amount of talent uh, in that le in that area with DeMatha and Good Council and all the private schools. So that was the area that I focused on recruiting. And, and I, I, I had a tremendous amount of success. I recruited that area very well. And uh, I enjoyed the collegiate game. I really did. Yeah. And and then from there, from coaching, coming back to UVA, you you stayed in the college football world. You worked for the college football playoff as well as the director of community relations and take us behind the scenes. I mean, people, uh, I, I've done some work with the NCAA and you always hear oh, the NCAA came down on this ruling and the college football playoff I know is its own separate uh, operation, uh, its own separate beast. What is it like behind the scenes there? Just all the thought, all the planning, everything that goes into orchestrating what is the crown jewel of, of college sports? Well, I was fortunate that uh, the year that I was there, the 2014-15, was the first college football playoff. Uh, oh, wow. Bill Hancock, who and I, he was, he's the executive director of the college football playoff. Bill Hancock had run the, the basketball tournament, the NCAA basketball tournament, yeah, yeah, yeah. years mm. uh, in Kansas City. And then once the NCAA offices moved to uh, Indianapolis, mm -hmm. Bill stayed in Kansas City and basically ran the BCS from his house. You know? wow. So uh, when we started the college football playoff at a brand new office in Irvine, Texas, uh, it was it was new to everyone. You know, uh, we had folks from various uh, programs of the ACC uh, and the Big Ten all kind of merged together. Uh, we worked with a lot of the college commissioners. A lot of the a uh, lot of our advisory board came from ADs around the country. So it was it was special because uh, 
we got to know a lot of different people. I mean, you got, you know, I got to spend time with, with Condoleezza Rice, who was on the uh, selection committee. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of my roles there with the, in community relations, is I ran an education summit for uh, educators in, in North Texas. Mm-hmm. And I got Condoleezza uh, Secretary Rice to come and be my guest speaker. And the teachers went nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So it, was, it was really neat. And to see that program now, there's a program, the initiative called XGR for Teachers, that the NFL promotes as well as college colleges promote. Uh, it's something that's taken off. And it was, you know, being on the, on the ground level, uh, starting in 2014 and watching it now, it's, it's been really special. It's a good, amazing ride with that. I mean, it's grown, obviously, you mm-hmm. know, over the years, but going back in there to start it is, a, you know, something special. We got people like like Sean and then, you know, Valerie Ackerman started at WNBA. So I guess that UVA education paid off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Well, as someone who who worked, to, you know, intimately with the college football playoff and we're talking about this current season as well. What what is your prediction? What is it going to look like this year? Do you think Big Ten and Pac twelve schools will eventually play and be a part of it? Do you think they're not going to be in it? Uh, I, I still don't have a clear even guess on what it's going to feel well, like. You know, I think I think everyone is week to week yeah. as as this season goes, particularly with this coming weekend. You know, you got a lot of football games coming up this Saturday. Mm-hmm. But quite honestly, I, I don't think you. You can rule out the Pac-12 and the Big Ten being part of this just because economically it, it'll be disastrous if they can't do. And right. so I think college football playoff will have to make uh, they'll have to make some kind of uh, they'll have to make plans moving forward to get to push the season back so that the Ohio States and Michigan's right. and Cal and UCLA and Oregon's will have an opportunity to play there, whether it's even even if it's all conference games. They'll get a chance to play that in, say, November, December, January. And I think we'll see a college football playoff probably early February. And hopefully it doesn't conflict with the Super Bowl because if, if yeah. things go totally as smooth as they want it to with NFL, you're going to be looking at the college football playoff, national championship, and the Super Bowl be playing at around the same time. Wow. That – one one side effect of the having no sports for so long is uh, is that we're getting them all at once right now. And you got major league, you got major league uh, baseball, you got National Hockey League, NBA playoffs, and football start. You got everyone's playing right now, all at once well, and, and at the highest level. Absolutely, but that's you the October, right? We we you the October. You got all the sports playing. Yeah. I was August September, but October is when everybody's you know football is getting ready to start, basketball starting. Yeah, you know, baseball is you know ramping up, doing their thing, and so you got some sports leaving for all season, but you got some sports starting now. Everything's going to be all jumbled up into one. Well, the crazy part for me, I'm, I'm looking at. I was I heard something the other day, and I said, "Wait a minute, baseball playoffs? Didn't they just start?" Yeah, they just started. Playing sixty games, they're almost done. They're almost yeah. done. I, just forty plus games already. It's crazy. Just a few weeks ago, we had Ryan Howard from the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, former uh, great player, on previewing the B- MLB baseball season. That was a couple weeks ago. Now we're talking about the playoff race because there's fifteen so games left. It, it's it's wild. Yeah, yeah. Now we understand. You know, everybody think we understand the magnitude. I mean, October is baseball, right? If baseball didn't get their October schedule in. They make their money in October, right? Uh, one of mm-hmm. our friends is the owner of a team, and you know he said basically October is when we when we do our when we make our money. So we got to have that playoff money. You know the, the games are okay during the course of the season, but we can fight that. They they have stands anyway with you know 
10, 15,000, 20,000 people and they got 80,000 people they can put in there. Mm-hmm. They don't really, I mean, care about the fans, but they care about their TV revenue. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, Sean, switching gears a little bit here, we talked about 2020 being a, a trying year, a difficult year for so many reasons, not just the the pandemic and, and COVID, but everything that's taking place uh, kind of from a social justice uh, standpoint as well. And it brings up that three years ago, you wrote a, a great op-ed uh, called A Response to Times of Challenge in the aftermath of what happened in Charlottesville. And rereading that, I, ju- I just did, it could have been written today. Uh, you wrote this three years ago. You said, in this time of challenge, I cannot stand on the sideline. There's no place for racism, bigotry, and hate in our nation. And then you also said, my fear is that we have not even reached the boiling point. You wrote this three years ago, and it's as relevant today as ever. Um, how how do you feel about those words that you wrote three years ago uh, about Charlottesville and what was taking place and and where we are as a country and a society today? You know, I I, had, I returned to Virginia in 2016 and I started working here in the field of diversity and inclusion at, at a private school here in Richmond, Virginia. And so when when all that was going on in Charlottesville, I just I felt obligated because literally I'm you know I'm less than an hour away from Charlottesville. And, I was watching everything literally transpire on TV because, you know, the local news. So I, I just felt obligated to, to put something on paper. Um, I reached out to the you know, editor and they produced it immediately. And then and I did one again recently, uh, mm-hmm. like the past six months. But uh, it's 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 a um, diversity and inclusion is is two of the most popular words now uh, yeah. in corporate America. Uh, if you just you go on LinkedIn or any job search, uh, they're hiring like crazy in diversity inclusion because everyone wants to be ahead of the curve. Um, and I, I just think that um, it's 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 an extremely tough time in America because we're, we're just so divided. You know, I, I got friends that I see on social media and I shake my head. I'm like, we're, we're just, I, I think because of the current, because of the current status of this country in terms of our, our leadership, it's just, we're, it's the most divisive I've ever seen in my lifetime. And uh, it, 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 I think the really the biggest fear for me is having a 26-year-old African-American son. Um, my son and I talk every day. Uh, he is fortunate because he plays professional football in Canada, so he doesn't live in the United States. Mm. Uh, and the, the borders are closed, and he is the father of two biracial kids. So... Uh, I told I tell him every day. He keeps saying, "Hey, man, I'm thinking about coming back." I'm like, "Just stay there. <laughs> stay there. Who you are is is safer there. Uh, you don't have the COVID concerns there. You don't have the, the the craziness in terms of injustice there. You're accepted there. Now, every time I go there, I, I mean, I know it's another country, but I feel like you know, I feel like I'm not in the U.S. and it's not. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm I, I fear for him in terms of coming back and trying to make a life in the United States. I want him to. You know, he's in his fifth year up there and I, I want him to, you know, normally I'd be like, hey, man, it's time to transition out of professional football. But I'm like, play as long as you can. Play as long as you can. Yeah. You just signed a new contract and I'm like, hey, man, you know, stay up there. Wow. Isn't, doesn't that say something? Isn't that, isn't that sad that, you know, your, your son, that it's like, I, you're, you're better off there than in the United States of America. Absolutely. And, and the, the great thing I like about his generation is they're woke. They are, they are, they are, they are into all this injustice. They're, they talk about it. They're on social media. 
that even in here, we're talking about other countries, you know, outside of the U.S., London, Germany, uh, Canada, they're, they're, um, they're very outspoken up there. And uh, they're talking about what's going on in the United States. And I think that's, that just shows you how, how strong and how serious this is when other countries are, are protesting and, and talking about injustice. I want to go back to our days because some people have asked me this question as well. At UVA, I mean, we were, you know, athletes, we were in a bubble. I don't know how much we saw that, especially in Charlottesville, when we were in school, did we see the racism things while we were in school? I have my stories as well. You know, early on, with only ever two African-Americans or three African-Americans playing on the football team. I came in with four, and then it kind of just bubbled about that. What did you see as an athlete, you know, at, at, at a I could highly academic institution? What did you see at Virginia when you when you were in school? So, you know, it's it's funny, man. When I um when I came in, Ralph, yeah, I don't know, I'm trying to think if Kevin Ferguson was there. You remember oh, Kevin yeah. Ferguson? Yeah, Kevin I remember Ferguson, the name, yes. He I thought been. Kevin Ferguson was the first African American quarterback there. And uh, but he wasn't. There was there was actually a guy in the late 70s. I can't think of his name right now, but but Ferguson was was larger than life for me because he was he was a high profile recruit out of the state of Virginia. Yes. And then from Virginia, I mean, I, you know, being a quarterback, I was like, hey, man, this, this dude is doing big things. And so when he went to Virginia, I watched his struggles. I watched up and down. And and when I got to Virginia, Ferg was still there. So, uh, you know, I Ferg and I are really tight to this day. But the quarterback, the quarterback thing didn't work out for him. Ferg ended up playing safety at Virginia. And, right. and he talked to me a lot just about, hey, man. Stand focused and stand at the position. You're going to face a lot of uh, a lot of hurdles, a lot of obstacles, uh, and it was just for me. It was about I had to I had to play a certain I had to be in a certain way and play a certain role. Like you know, when I would go talk to the media, uh, you know, I was very conscious about what I said and how I said it. Um, when I walked around on campus, being the quarterback and being an African American quarterback, I know people watch me, so. Right. Um, you know, it was just it was just a certain way I had to be. So looking back on it, um, I knew it was a lot of pressure. Uh, I just pretended like it didn't exist. But I knew every day I almost walked on eggshells, whether it was going into a press conference with media, whether it was, you know, walking into Cabell Hall, wherever it was. Yeah, yeah. I knew that there was a lot of pressure on me. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I was in that bubble at, at University Hall all the time and uh, I do remember interviews where I was very short and quiet mm-hmm. um, and I took some speech classes to get me out of that to learn how to deal with the media, right. how to answer the questions in a correct manner and right. not go to the left or to the right. So mm-hmm. I definitely remember that in my days there. It's interesting to see it from your perspective because we, we cross paths, yeah. you know, actually at the university and some Cabell Hall and some of the same places. But as you look back at it now, now, how would you, I mean, you talk about your son. I mean, I have two sons and and it's around the same age. How do you I mean? My oldest son was in Atlanta and he was just driving around like, OK, great. When things were going on and he ended up with COVID a little bit as well, COVID as well. Like, dude, you six foot ten. You know, you're a big boy. You can't just drive around freely in right. Atlanta, Georgia yeah. without getting stopped. Maybe your headlight on your car is out. Until later. How, how do you teach your son that being in Canada, he comes back to, to the States? What would you tell him to come back to and how would you teach him to react to today's society when it comes to the police? You know, I am, um, like I said, we talk every day. And uh, one of the things we talk about is um, 
you know, you just, you, you, I tell him kind of almost what I went through when I was his age is you, you have to be aware of what's going on at all times. You, you have to find a way to be intuitive. And I think those conversations that I've had with him and c- continue to have with him, he's starting to have with his kids. And, right, right. And, and I think that's extremely beneficial because he's now a father and, you know, he's got two sons who African-American sons and he's got the same worries that I had. Right, right. So, um, you know, we we continue we continue to talk on a on a day to day basis, just about hey man, you just you got to be aware, you got to know what's going on, um, you have to be smart, um, and, and and it's unfortunate to say this, but if you're ever stopped, you have to live to see another day. That means just you know, uh, listen to the officer, uh, answer his questions, yes sir, no sir, and just and here's the thing, like. We see a lot of stuff on the news and it's always stuff that's gone to, gone bad, stuff that goes the wrong way. And, and I always talk to my son when, when something like that happens and I go, you know, what, what could have been different there is you could, you have to think about it this way. I need to live to see another day. So whether that means I got to be cordial, you know, just answer questions, just, just do what they say so that you can live to see another day. Right, right, right. Well, I say, that's I tell them the same. And sometimes you know they listen, and sometimes they don't. You got they want to be a man, and trying to figure out how to grow up a man is always somewhat difficult. But it was great to to hear that story as well. How do you how do you train up a young man in today's society? Kind of kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm sorry that that is the state uh, of of the world that our our country is in right now. You know, uh, it's tough. But I hope that. Uh, as you said three years ago, my fear is that we've not even reached the boiling point. I, I hope that this summer was a tipping point and that we're learning and, and the younger generation is more woke, like and, you said. And athletes, athletes are using their platform. And I, and, yes. and I, and I think that is extremely admirable. Mm-hmm. I hope they continue to do it. Uh, it's, I think people are, some people are getting tired of it, but I, I think that the more they do it, the more the people are, are aware of what's going on. So uh, I hope these young athletes continue to, to stay stay woke and, and, and using their platform because yeah, they're doing an excellent job. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sean, one last question we'd like to ask all of our guests here on Center Court is to give you an opportunity to pay homage to someone who meant a lot to you in your life, your career, uh, to help pave the way to all the success that you've achieved, both not just as an athlete, but as, as, as a person, uh, is there someone that you would like to pay homage to? Um, you know, man, I, I grew up in a very tough part of, of the state of Virginia, very rural, very, uh, and I had a lot of, uh, coaches, um, that came through my lifetime and, uh, from pop Warner coaches to city uh, city rec coaches, basketball, both football and basketball. Uh, there's a lot of coaches, man. One, one in particular is a guy who I still, he's an official in uh, Virginia beach. His name is Ricky Haley. Ricky Haley is yeah. one of my favorite people. And uh, Ricky Stokes and he are really tight, Ralph. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Ricky Haley is someone who has just been a, has been a, a strong advocate of mine for years. And he was, he was a solid coach. He's a solid person. Uh, and just just somebody, man, who who I admired growing up. I wanted to be like him. He's the reason I majored in psychology at the University of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a psychology major in college, and he, he always talked about it. You know, we go, we be in practice, and he'd be like, "Hey, man, you 
you really need to study psychology. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think you'd be good at it. And, and you know, he was right. Uh, right. But he's someone that, that uh, I would love to pay homage to because he played an important role in my life. Absolutely. I know the name well. Ricky talks yeah. about him all the time. So Ricky, Ricky talks about him all the time. Yeah. All the time. All the time. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that, Sean. And uh, yep. we we wish you uh, the best of luck and continued success with everything that you have going on. And uh, I hope that we get through this college football season uh, and and we can we'll have you back on to preview the college football championship game whenever that may be. Who knows? Exactly. Right. Could be happens. March. Who knows? Might be yeah. spring. It may be. But anyway, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Sean. Ralph, it was great chatting with Sean Moore uh, about college football, about his career. I hope the college football happens. I'm still a little skeptical if it's going to make it all the way through. Well, we know it won't be like it used to be, Mm -hmm. and we don't know or expect what it will be. So it's going to be interesting to see how it works. I mean, as Sean alluded to, Virginia playing Virginia Tech the first game of the year. I mean, that's just never been done. Right. Uh, that's rivalry the, week is, is the last that's game. The game of the year. Yeah. You know, if, if, if UVA or, I mean, especially the way it is, it's whoever wins that game is the king of Virginia. But that's Thanksgiving typically. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be interesting to see how the schedule works out and how things happen. We'll keep our ears to the ground to make sure we entertain everybody with that. But um, I'm interested to see what happens. It's going to be different, but we'll see. Me too, and it's it's changing every single day as we navigate these uncharted waters and territories of this crazy year, 2020, trying to make it work. Thank you for listening to another episode of Center Court. Uh, Ralph, you stay safe over there in Virginia. You too, you too out there on the, on the West Coast, and thank everybody for listening, for sure. That's right. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to follow us, Center Court 50, Ralph Sampson 50, Jay-Z Fish, and leave us a, a review. We will talk to you guys soon, and stay tuned for another episode of Center Court coming up next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.